You found it. The no-nonsense, no-script podcast you've been waiting for. Real people on real issues. Welcome to Dynamic Independence. The home of logic, reason, and common sense. Let's do it. Thanks, everybody, for tuning in today. I'm Johnny Anderson, and I'm joined today by Marty Foster, Bruce Adams, GP, and a very special guest. We got a full house tonight, so we're going to try and make this as organized as possible. So we'll do the best we can with it. Today, we're going to go over the UK's response to COVID-19. Let's go ahead and get started this evening. So we have a very special guest joining us this evening, as we will get to him in just a moment. We're going to be doing some UK stuff today. Marty, how are you today? I'm very well, thank you. Yeah, all good. The weather's changeable. Haven't done much work on the man cave, but I have got an awful lot of my actual work done, which makes a nice change. That's fantastic. It's good to have you back. We haven't had you here in, uh, seems like two or three weeks now we haven't had you here, but in reality, it's only been a few days. So yeah, it has only actually, been a few days, but I, yeah. it's just uh, indicative of how much you miss me. So thank you. It is. It is. And, you know, just a couple of a couple of SMSs a couple, you know, a couple times a week, it just doesn't really quite, it's not the same, you know, it, it doesn't, doesn't have the same type of feeling that we have yeah it's it's just not you know it's just like oh well yeah okay almost like we're on a break yeah yeah something like that like ross and rachel yeah something like is that a friend's yeah okay all right gotcha Gotcha. okay so bruce how are you today healthy and alive got a wonderful thunderstorm in the background so uh otherwise pretty good fantastic let's hope it's not a tornado uh hope not Okay, uh, let's get over to our guest. He goes by the name of Jason because that's his actual name. It's uh, it's nice to have you on, and I hello. know that I, I know that uh, yeah hello I know that you have uh, had some concerns and you reached out to Marty and here we are uh, and you decided that you'd like to come on. It is my understanding that you gave us a listen before so you could kind of get the feel of what to expect, uh, and we're happy to have you on to kind of give your perspective. You are a healthcare professional. You are actually in the field, and I'm assuming that today we're going to kind of get into the whole uh, UK side of the, um, the the COVID-19. I'm assuming that's what you want to talk about. We haven't, re- like I just met you five minutes ago, so I'm <laughs> assuming that, that that's the way we're going to go with it. But why don't you give us a rundown of, uh, of your credentials? Well, I've been uh, working on the ambulances for about eight years now. My qualification is a uh, IHCD technician, which is, is the actual official qualification, which in this country, we've got essentially three levels of ambulance staff, which is the um, the ECA, which is emergency care assistant. And the next level up from that is myself as technician. I am a clinician. It was a year's worth of on-the-job training after a eight-week course. And then beyond that, it's, it goes into degree level stuff. Um, so I've got I've got a fair amount of experience. I'm not currently on the ambulances, but I'm still working as a healthcare professional. So I, I've still got many, many friends in the industry, and quite a few of those have been affected by COVID. I have known two people personally who acquaintances they are rather than friends um, who have lost their lives, unfortunately, as as um, personnel to it. But luckily, none of my close friends who are still on the ambulances have have got that far. They've all taken quite a, a gentle hit from it, if that's the way to put it. But it's it's still out there in this country for sure. And and uh, I'm not sure I like our 
current delightful leaders, whack-a-mole, as it's being described in the um, in the UK press, whack-a-mole approach to it. Where it pops up, he will hit it. But yes, so uh, I, I do I, I do think that COVID is a serious situation, is a serious thing that is still affecting people. I do question, like yourselves, the the press spin on it. That's where my biggest concerns for the whole, for an awful lot of the world's situations at the moment is is I think the press has a has rather too much power, and I think the press definitely spinning it and not taking the right experts' views on things because there is an awful lot of information out there, and it's it is as the press always does they cherry pick they cherry pick the bit that is going to suit their bias, whether they're left or right bias press. They will cherry pick the bit that suits them. Yeah, one hundred percent. As a media outlet, rather than you know trying to just report the facts and find the truth. Yeah, exactly that. I I, I do not personally think that that um, the press should have any bias at all. I, I I don't. I understand why they do. I understand that the people behind them behind newspapers and and media outlets uh, all have their own politics that's fine but if you're reporting it to the masses you should try and be as unbiased and and let people make up their own minds martin and i had quite a long conversation about this um sunday i think it was wasn't it martin yeah it was an hour and 21 minutes yeah it was really <laughs> lovely, actually having not spoken to he, each other for quite a while not that he was counting or anything no, <laughs> it just, comes up on telephone, doesn't it? Yeah, Nowadays. I was just amazed. I was amazed that we kept going. I was actually um, uh, treating my my new man cave on the outside. He was with a headset on whilst talking to Jason um, for an hour and twenty one minutes, and, and the time just flew by. I got so much done; it was great. Thanks. There mate. was a certain amount of banging and 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 stuff going on in the background. Yeah. Yeah. Um, well. I live in a rough area. Yeah, so so we, we covered everything on that day, from education and healthcare to my probably slightly left left leaning bias. But I'm not I'm not sure. I, I describe myself when with with my politics as um, I, I am a libertarian, but I'm a social libertarian. I do believe in social conscience. I do believe that people have a responsibility for each other. I do believe that. You should have your own freedoms, though. There's a bit too much dictation, dictatorial bias from government in this country. Certainly, I don't know about the states. Don't, but, but um, oh. <laughs> we—that's uh, a whole other can of worms. We we can get into yeah, that yeah, later. Yeah. Yes, yeah. I, I do. I do think that that the, the Donald and the Boris are largely cut from the similar, very similar cloth, and I question either of their actual ability to run the country because. Um, certainly, our one is is a court proved liar. Unfortunately, he's been through the courts and lost on several occasions. Yeah. <laughs> to, well, the, you know. as far as Boris Johnson goes, I mean, that's in comparison to Donald Trump. If you look at it from a standpoint of uh, the political class, Boris is essentially he's a product of the political machine, is he not? He's come yes, up yeah, through yeah, yeah. the universities. He's come up through the political class. He's come up through that system. Donald Trump is not. He's been a businessman all of his career, and he's never run for public office ever. And no. the first time that he does, he runs for the highest office in the country, and he embarrassed all of them. That's what he did. That's why they don't like him. That I mean, his politics yeah. or, or his decisions or his shoot from the hip mentality aside, right? He's a New York businessman. But all that aside, he's not an established guy. He's not from that cla- that political class. He entered their world. 
and they can't stand yeah. it. So he's got to go. He's a fly in the ointment, if you will. He, he's got to go. Now, Boris Johnson, I've I've watched him for a long time. Now, he's he's come from a guy that's I mean, you, you go from David Cameron, who's PM one day, calls the Brexit vote. It happens. <laughs> and then, I mean, months Hard later, he's he's living in, a, in his caravan and Boris Johnson comes out of the countryside from his cottage and he's the PM all of a sudden after Theresa May failed. So, I mean, yeah. I, that's why I love English politics, well, because you couldn't call it better than that. But Boris, Boris has been attempting to to muscle his way in for a very long time and been rejected many, many times, which is why it surprised me when he wasn't rejected and actually achieved what he'd been aiming for 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 so long. He's been wanting to be prime minister for ever such a long time, biding his time, and it's been very obvious, really, um, to those who, who are willing to watch. Yeah, it, that that's absolutely true. He has wanted the job for a long time. The reason he's wound up with the job is because of the the massive swing of the political pendulum that went far too far to the left for too long, in my humble opinion, and the backlash has meant that the right has taken it, the populist movement has taken it, and he's the popular choice. I went on and and had a a bit of a row with James O'Brien on LBC about this very point. He asked me, why do we like being lied to and why would we vote for Boris? Well, the simple fact of the matter is no one likes being lied to, and we know Boris is a court-proven liar. However, I still had more faith in him getting us out of the EU, which is my strong desire. I know it's not necessarily yours, but it is my strong desire. Uh, And that's why I was prepared to vote for a liar. And um, if he, I, I said immediately the day he got in, I made I made sure I tweeted at him and I put messages on his Facebook uh, feed and all the rest of it, saying, "You're in now. Make sure you keep your promises um, because you can be out as easily as you got in." And the way the the British public is at the moment, with all things Brexit and all things political, there are going to be some dramatic swings left and right. I can I can feel it coming. Sneaking feeling that we are going to have a massive backlash against Boris. In the opposite direction. I call um, one of our supposed longest or greatest prime ministers in the recent times, uh, um, Mr. Blair. He is Chairman Blair because he, he, he was a dictator in all but name. What what he said went because he had such a majority. And we're in a situation again where Boris is in a very commanding position in, in the um, House of Commons. And we seem in this country absolutely petrified of a hung parliament. And I don't see the problem with hung parliaments. Something where everybody is represented is is what I think is the ideal view, really. Personally. Yeah, but you, you see the, the issue in... Sorry, Johnny, I know you wanted to, to talk about COVID, which I'm sure we we're going to. The issue with the hung parliament is nothing gets done. If you look at the state in America at the moment, with all of the um, your your two houses, you, you've got the president on one hand, but Congress is being overpowered and controlled by the opposite party. So anything that he wants to do, it either goes through on an executive order or it's not happening. Is that right? Is that a fair assumption, Johnny? 
Well, yes and no. You you have see that the houses themselves of Congress are split. Obviously, you've got the House of Representatives and then you have the Senate. So you have two separate houses there. Right at this moment, you have the House for the last two years that have been controlled by Democrats and you have the Senate that's been controlled by Republicans. Well, obviously, Trump is a representative of the Republican Party in this sense. So he is he's not actually a Republican. That's the funny thing about it. But you have the House that passed things. And then, of course, that process, when it goes to legislation, you pass it by the House, goes to the Senate. They have to then pass it. And then it goes to the president's desk to decide whether or not he's going to sign it into law. If he does not, then it gets vetoed and it goes back and they have to revise it. However, you have both houses of Congress that are deadlocked. They're deadlocked. They, they can't actually get anything done. And they haven't gotten anything done for probably about a decade now. They haven't really done anything. So uh, do you think I'm joking? It's actually been a lot longer than that. They haven't actually done anything. Both parties are failure at this point. They're failure. And that's why I'm I don't like the idea of a hung parliament or a coalition government because it's too difficult to get any kind of um, policy through in any time. So you get no real change. And and that's why I'm I'm happy for there to be a strong conservative majority at the moment. But I am fearful that if Boris doesn't smarten up and fly right, he's going to lose that. Yeah. The issue you run into in the States is it's not I mean, we're, we're set up as a, as a constitutional republic, so we're not technically a democracy. I mean, you can kind of it's a flavor of it. It's a it's a democracy with a little D, I guess. That's how I call it. But you essentially you have both parties that are supposed to keep the underlying doctrine of the country at the heart of their their legislative abilities, if you if you will, uh, which we're to the point now where none of them even consider the, the Constitution. I mean, I'm going to reference it again because that's just what we're supposed to base everything on. We can do whatever we want. We can change the stuff on the surface. But the underlying issue in America is, is that we have to stay by the letter of the Constitution because we have to take everyone's rights into consideration. And they don't do that. On top of that, most of these people, I, I can't even... I can't even imagine the last time one of these useless idiots up there on the Hill sat down and penned actual legislation themselves that they believed in. These people get handed legislation by lobbyists, by corporations. They get greased behind the scenes with money and they turn around and they pass it. And then it goes it goes forward from there. So a lot of times when you see these. Yeah, a lot of times when you see these big spending spending bills coming out of the states, like there was the, the one Bruce we looked at was three trillion dollars, three trillion dollars yep. in a spending bill. They had it ready to go. It was sixteen hundred pages. They had it ready to go two days after the COVID thing. They've had that stuck in a drawer somewhere, just waiting for an opportunity for it. Same thing when you see a mass shooting in the United States. They have gun legislation in a drawer, ready to go. It's already there. And so these people don't actually believe in any of the stuff that they promote, in any of the legislation that they pass. It's just, it, it's turned into, um, it's turned into corporate fascism over there. The, the corruption is just so bad. It's, it's so, um, I, I don't want to say the term deep state, but that's kind of what it is. It's just, it's so entrenched. It's systemic, yeah. It is. It's so entrenched that, that that's what it's turned into. If a corporation, for example, comes along, let's say Procter & Gamble, right? Everybody knows Procter & Gamble, big mega corporation. They're all over the world and they have all kinds of products. They're, they're a big parent company. Okay. Procter & Gamble goes to, say, several Congress people and several senators, and they have the legislation already put together. It's already there. And so they then say, okay, well, here's what we're going to do. Uh, we're we're going to give you $25,000 for your campaign contributions. 
And then we're going to go around and we're going to give all these House members and all these senators $25,000 because that's the maximum you can give in campaign contributions. And so a corporation will spend, say, I don't know, million, two million, three million greasing the skids behind the scenes in campaign contributions to get that legislation passed. That's going to make that corporation ten and a half billion dollars. You see the kind of thing we're dealing with here. So th- this is the level of corruption we're dealing with in the U.S. I'm not saying it's like that all the way across the board. I'm just saying that that's that's where we're at. Uh, when it comes to DC politics, but we're drifting here. I want to. I want to get since he's here. I want to get into. I want to get into this. Uh, some of the COVID stuff. If I'm correct, uh, Jason, you're from up around the. Um, I believe Marty told me you're from up around Dorset area. Is that correct? Yeah, absolutely. That's that's where I'm. That's where I'm based at the moment. Yeah. Okay. Last week we covered something that was out of the UK press, and it was uh, the beaches in Bournemouth were absolutely jam packed and. Marty was telling me that you were actually having a conniption fit because of all the people that were out on the beaches. So tell us, in, from you as a medical professional, you being on the ground there, explain uh, what you were seeing. Because I saw the photos and I couldn't believe it. You had, what, half a million, 750,000 people out there on the beaches. And you guys heavily yeah. rely on tourism up there, too, as I understand, correct? We, we do. Yeah, we, we do rely on tourism. We need it. Uh, our economy is uh, in, in Dorset. Devon, Cornwall, this whole the whole southwest of England really is is very heavily um, reliant on on having people coming in. The issues I was having was the mass influx. There was the the roads on the way in were gridlocked. Uh, absolute we were in chock a block. We would say in England there was no movement for hours. The beaches were. It, it, it was impossible to do anything like social distancing separate, which we are still being asked to do in this country. We are being asked to keep two meters for the for a short while. I think it's until Saturday still. One of my big problems was is that Dorset and specifically Bournemouth, Bournemouth is now um, a, a council called BCP, which is Christchurch, Bournemouth and Poole, have all amalgamated into one council. And we have been doing remarkably well. It's a 300 plus thousand population of people and our R rate or whatever it is, when you look at any of the statistics, we've been doing really well with with COVID. It has been very low in our population relative to the population size. I, I, I personally look at um, as a percentage of the population rather than going, oh, there are 15 1500 people in this area have got it yeah i i then go okay so how many what how big is the population what percentage of the population have you got because i think that's a much more telling um telling statistic uh, we have done remarkably well considering how touristic we are how big the temptation is for people to come down here how social our population is we are a social bunch down here we do like to go out and meet each other on the beaches and, and in the cafes it's of god we've got a very big cafe culture and then to suddenly have half a million people descend on us from london birmingham as far away as what's the one that's just just gone into lockdown again now leicester yes yeah, leicester we, i thought you were gonna say glasgow we, we, no hmm. we, we had we had people from leicester come down here so these people from hotspots from areas that have a much higher rate of covid from us suddenly descending on 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 bournemouth sleepy old bournemouth which and, and potentially raising our risk we're full of old people it's a very old it's, it's a relatively old population it's like um the uk's florida uh if you can a imagine. little bit yeah yeah 
it's not as bad as Worthing. Worthing is as is is euphemistically termed as God's waiting room by um, ambulance personnel, but it's heading that direction. Um, so, so if you if you look at it purely from a COVID point of view, then that's ridiculous. Yeah, if you are following what the government is saying and you believe that that, that COVID, which which I do, that COVID is a potentially serious situation, then that is irresponsible to my mind. Apart from anything, we also had a more direct effect on our health in this area in that the ambulances couldn't get through, the police cars couldn't get through, and that the fire engines couldn't get through. So there were people actually put at risk by all these people suddenly descending in a very, very real sense. People who were having heart attacks on that day were at higher, on those two days actually, were at higher risk than they are today, where the beach is completely empty today because we've got a few clouds and people don't like clouds for some unknown reason. But so we've got a few clouds today, so the beaches are empty and traffic is free flowing. So you've got that aspect of the health, which which bugs me because of, of being, like we said, a, a technician, uh, ambulance personnel. I know what it's like in those situations and how frustrated and how annoyed and how upset you get if you if you get to somebody late. Yeah. On top of that as well, I don't know if you if it made us made it as far as you, but some of the things that were being left in people's front gardens and in burger boxes on the beach were another direct health threat. I don't know if if you you I, you got any. Of those I did. Reports. I did hear about the. I'm actually on. I'm on the. I'm on the mainland of Europe, so I I do read some different news than what they get in the states. So I did hear about the excessive amount of. Uh, I will use your term and not the U.S. term. I did hear about the excessive amount of rubbish that was left around, and I mean that, as you say, that creates a potential for uh, unsanitary conditions. It's not it's just all the kind of rubbish that was around. Is that Are people you- rubbish or trash? Human waste. Human waste. Oh, uh, that. Okay. All right. That I did not know. Watching over burger boxes. Oh, my goodness. Closing the burger boxes and leaving them on the beach. People were also using the residents' front gardens along a lot of the beachfront properties and even some roads back. They were using people's front gardens as public conveniences. Oh, my. Actually. So that is an actual direct threat. The water quality almost disappeared. The, the water on those two days it was noticeably different the water quality because people because the local authority were turning around and saying we haven't had a chance to check everything and open everything nothing's ready for you all our public toilets are now open because of that that day but they were saying look we haven't managed to get round to them because we're only just getting our staff out nothing is open nothing is open just just the, the, the toilets are not there. So people didn't have a huge amount of choice. Our mayor said, don't come because we're not ready for you. And then this half a million people turned up. They were also, I don't know if you got the reports wherever you are, that the people going around emptying the bins, because that does happen on a daily basis, there were groups of people going around emptying the bins who had to have trained security guards with them because they were being spat at they were being punched, they were being given verbal abuse. And I don't understand where this comes from when your people are trying to help you, trying to get the, 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 the refuse away so that you can start filling up the bins with your, your further refuse. You know, it was, I think, when they left, there were 44 tonnes, possibly more, of rubbish of various different qualities picked up off our beaches, off, off just Bournemouth, Bournemouth Christchurch and Pool Beach, beaches. It is disgraceful, isn't it? And it, you'll recall, Johnny, 
Bruce LOGP as well, that when we spoke about it last, I did say that there's an underclass in the UK that simply do not know how to behave. And they're the ones who I would point my finger at over the what made this bad situation a lot worse with them drinking heavily in the sun, causing fights on the beach, requiring police and emergency services to come to people's aid on a packed beach during a lockdown. It was absolutely disgraceful, uh, all, all of the things that happened. And, and you know, if, if I lived there, I, I would be as furious as Jason is. Can I ask a question? Yep. If you if you were there on this beach, gentlemen, and you had your, say, nine-year-old had to go to the restroom, what would you do? Well, first of all, I wouldn't be there. I'm, <laughs> right. I'm, I'm, <laughs> I'm, quite, I'm quite happy to wait until I'm given the, the go-ahead. Um, you know, Boris has tried because we all know there's pressure on the government to relax the lockdown, to get businesses open again to get people living a more normal life. However, the relaxations of our lockdown conditions are reasonably clear. They're they're not as clear as they could be. But, you know, you can go and uh, enjoy a picnic with your family, people that are in your bubble, but you need to maintain social distancing. There was no way on earth that social distancing could have been maintained on those beaches with that many people descending on them all at once. No. So from a from a personal point of view, on the Wednesday, um, I have I have an eleven year old, so I can mm-hmm. almost answer your question about eight year olds because they're not a huge amount different. Actually, eleven year olds. <laughs> no, <laughs> I have the advantage that I live here, so mm-hmm. we made sure that that uh, I'm, I'm going to put it politely but accurately. We made sure our bowels were emptied before we went, <laughs> if that makes sense. So we, we didn't need to do something like that there on the Wednesday evening. I waited until six o'clock. To, to go. My daughter was desperate. One of the reasons that she likes being in this area is 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 the beach. She she was begging me to go tonight. She will beg me to go tomorrow. She is desperate to go on that beach. She loves it. So we then went to the beach. I said, look, if it's too bad, we are going to turn around. And I drove for almost the entire length of the beach to a part of the beach that I, on a normal day, would guarantee you would have space. And every single parking space that would normally be available was full. So I kept driving past where I would have said that that there would be no problem and the entire car park would normally be empty, especially on a weekday, would be empty. And we found some spaces and we did manage to go down. We had at least three meters around us all the time. It was a bit different in the in the water because when you get into the water, there's always a few there's always more people right on the surf line and then it it eats out with luckily both of us can swim quite well so we both went further out so we did we did manage to find somewhere where we could socially distance but we have a weekend here which is on the august bank holiday our august bank holiday which is the last weekend in in august which is the air show weekend and that is famous for being busy but extra toilets are put up in the area so there's always provided for. we're always provided for there's always extra things are put on for that weekend because it's expected we had more people on our beach than happens at that weekend which is the busiest weekend of any year is the august bank holiday weekend where we have the air show on and there were more people last wednesday and thursday on our beach with empty with closed, sorry, 
public conveniences. The, the local mayor was saying, they're not open, don't come. If you come, it will cause us a problem. And then they were starting arguing about there being a problem. That's that's where I get this is faith. This is the issue with the, the day tripper. We've got a mutual friend, Johnny, who was very much looking forward to his holiday in Cornwall, which he was had been told he could go to. Uh, he'd had a, you know, an email from the people of the cottage that he'd be renting, but they've just had a letter from the government saying the people from the following postcodes are not permitted to travel. So we know where this, where I'm leading to now, don't we? We're leading to Leicester. Leicester, and the yeah, recent, let's talk about Leicester. And the recent re-lockdown of the entire city. I want everyone to, to chip on chip in on this, but the whole city has experienced spikes within certain regions of the city and the county. And I'm going to caveat this straight off the bat by saying this is no way meant to be a criticism of Islam. However, there are very large Muslim communities in these areas with the high spikes. What's happened is they've just experienced this year's Ramadan. And immediately after Ramadan, you go into Eid al-Fitr, which is about a three-day holiday. And without wanting to sound too like I'm simpling things down, it's just like Christmas for the Christian world. There's gift giving, there's visits around people's houses. And during Ramadan, fasting all day, the evening meal, iftar, after the evening prayers, is another occasion where people will go around each other's houses to, to eat together. So you've got a whole month of iftars, followed by a three-day family visit uh, cycle, which I think is 100% the reason for the recent spikes and the place has been shut down. So if the R rate is still high come Christmas, we're going to see it again nationwide, not just in the parts of the country that have got high Asian communities. Also, I've got no supporting evidence for this, but I understand that some of the other high Asian community cities and towns around the UK are about to also be locked down for the same reasons, such as Bradford. Can I ask a question? Yeah, sure. Okay, you keep uh, everyone keeps mentioning spikes, and I don't I don't know if the general audience understands. Uh, is it uh, the spikes you're referring to? The increasing testing that week, like say they did ten thousand extra tests that week, that would show a spike, or is this spike the number of people that are admitted into hospitals? Uh, in this particular case, if it was just a matter of people being tested and either. If it's the antibody, it'll test, look like a spike. It will. It will look like like a spike. But I've got a feeling, and again, I'm not privy to all of the information. But I think it could also be uh, the number of admissions to hospital. I okay. don't think. I don't think that our testing is widespread enough. I think it's sporadic. Um, I think that that the way it is being pushed out. I don't think that our testing is a viable thing. So I do think that they're tending to use people being admitted to hospital. Because over here in California, what they do is they do three three weeks, barely any testing, and then they all of a sudden they come out in vans and everything else and do a bunch of testing. So it looks like a spike. 
and it's yeah. completely false. Our spikes are caused slightly differently. Our spikes are caused by the fact that the data is collected sporadically rather than the testing. Oh, data. the data, yes. Yeah. So we're testing irregularly. You guys are collecting your data irregularly. Yeah, that's mostly in the care homes and things like that. So a lot of the data from the general public is being taken, but they kind of hold the care homes until Friday. And then they give all of the care homes information in on Friday. So it looks like every Friday or every Tuesday or whenever it is that they do it, we have this massive spike. But it has to be, the caveat has to be said that this is when they receive the data from that particular source. When you guys are testing, like here, if you test positive, say, say it's a Tuesday, right? And you test positive. That goes into the, you know, to the general count. Well, next week you get tested again. It's just the way it goes. And suppose it shows up positive. Well, that goes into the general count. And then the next week they test you again. And if that goes positive, that goes into the general count. So one person can count for three here. Well, I don't, no, I'm not sure about that. Tennis. Let me jump in here because this is important because we're glossing over something very obvious here. Did any of uh-huh. you happen to listen to the podcast that Bruce and I did yesterday? No. 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 Okay. My cousin got up. <laughs> okay. Yeah. Good morning, GP. Let, let me explain Thank to you. you. Let me explain to you. Let me explain to all of you what's actually happening in the United States. Six mm. weeks ago. Six weeks ago, directives were handed down by the CDC and the NIH to go to state and local health departments. Okay, so what's happening and local and local university epidemiology departments as well. The ones that are also coordinating with this testing. So here's what's happening. Six weeks ago, the state of Texas, and I'm sure, like I said, I'm sure this is the same all across the country. And it would not surprise me. I don't have any evidence to back this up, but it would not surprise me that the UK is not adopting the same thing as well. Do you guys have contact tracers? I think you do, don't you? Mm -hmm. Theoretically. Okay, so let me explain what's happening. So in the United States, as of six weeks ago, they adopted a policy that when you test someone and they test positive, the contact tracer then visits that person. That person then gathers the data on the other people that they have come in contact with. They are then told to classify up to 16 additional people that they have come in contact with as probable cases, but they are counted as confirmed cases. On top of this, on top of this, they are lowering the standards as to what they classify as, quote, COVID confirmation when it comes to a case. Anything down as far as a subjective fever or a headache is now classified as a, quote, confirmed case in the United States. So if you have example, Bruce and I did the math on this yesterday because they're calling the the NIH, the the National Institute of Health and the CDC are calling 100,000 confirmed cases a day. How's that possible? How is that possible? You talk about spikes. If they're classifying, let's say 5000 people get a headache a day. Okay, 5000 people. Well, by their standards, by their testing standards, their classifications, you now have covid. You're now a confirmed covid case. And if a contact tracer then associates you with up to 16 other people, there's 17 COVID cases because of one headache. This is how they're classifying the testing in the United States. This is why we're seeing the spikes. Again, I'm not saying I'm not I'm not disagreeing with any of this. I'm not I'm not disagreeing with your, your methods or the fact that it's you know, I'm not saying it's not a real virus or anything like that. But I have to say, uh, Marty, when you told me last week that you were putting on a karate demonstration and you guys were practicing social distancing at two meters. I have to say, I was a, I was shocked that that was even still being done. Social distancing went out the window here over a month ago. People just don't care anymore. I'm around people every day, hundreds of people every day, no masks, no nothing. And people are not succumbing to anything. 
Now, I'm not saying that it's a it's That's a giant fraud. Yeah, but I'm not saying that it's not a giant fraud or anything. But what I am saying is that the classification that we're being fed, especially in the United States, is a load of bull. It's a load of bull. This crap that we're seeing of these these quote spikes that they're using as a pretext to enforce the lockdowns is based on false science. So how can you justify what what these people are doing? Not, uh, and I'm not okay, saying not necessarily, Johnny. I'm gonna have to I'm gonna have to go on the other side here on this for just a particular second. It's okay, GP. I we love know. it when you play devil's advocate. So let's go. <laughs> I'm not playing devil's I'm, advocate. I'm, I'm, gonna I'm, I'm, I'm working them. You know, I work in the labs, and I, I'm I'm quite familiar with yes. what happens when we get overrun. Okay, here's the situation. We do know that 95 percent of our population is really not going to be hospitalized. These aren't them. But 5%, take 5% of 384 million people here in the United States and put them in the hospital. We're all going to get this virus. I don't care what you guys all think. I'm not going to get it. I'm not going to be the one. You're going to get it. It's just like the flu. Sometime in your life, you're going to get it. And the same thing with this virus. And it's even a little bit more contagious. So it's eventually going to get you. But it's not as virulent as they're saying. Wherever If you get it, you die. That's just this is not the truth. I agree. I but agree. the hospitals, what is happening is what they're doing, these preventative measures is so like if we all went out and just hugged and kissed and everything else, it would spread. It's going to spread. It will spread rapidly. The problem is, is we will get a large inundation into the hospitals of the elderly and the people that are immunocompromised. Well, not necessarily all of them, but many of the immunocompromised will end up in the hospital overrunning it. We can't handle that kind of situation right now. No. So we just want to do it slowly. We already know we're all going to get it. This is inevitable. It's the way it is. There's no way you're going to stop every country that's going to, you know, get a handle on this. So it's going to keep coming back and keep coming back and keep, and it's just, that's how it is. But we can reduce the amount of people infected. So the other thing I would put on top of that is, is it is as contagious easily as the flu. And it does seem to from all the evidence I've been able to spot, it does seem to kill more people than the flu. Not as many as, say, rabies. We're really lucky that this isn't rabies, one of the rabies viruses, because rabies kills everybody who starts to show symptoms. So almost everyone. It's like anthrax. Yeah, and like Ebola kills. Where, where, as soon as you start, yeah, as soon as you start showing symptoms, yeah, you're very lucky if you don't die. This is not like that, like you, like um, GP was saying. This is a disease which most of us will not die from. However, it is a novel disease that we can put measures in place to slow down. We're never going to stop it, like you said, but it's it it's, does kill a statistically significant larger quantity well, of of of. Uh, how do you say like, statistically so it, large quantities? Because they say on the stats. That like George Floyd, right? If you guys don't know who George Floyd is, George we Floyd do. is a, yeah. Okay, if you know who George Floyd is, he died from COVID nineteen. Yeah, he's on the list. The he hospital was. reported one death that day from COVID nineteen. He was the only death that was recorded that day. Yeah. Okay, that's a really bad example to use, GP. I'm sorry. <laughs> <laughs> okay, you can cut it out. We have to look at. Are all these deaths really COVID-19 related? Like some of these car accidents and motorcycle accidents that obviously are impact-related deaths, you know, blood force trauma deaths, but they're still listed as COVID-19 deaths. Are we looking at that? So is it is it really that many more than the flu? Well, we, we've believed for, for a while that 
the way in which infection rates were being reported for a start. And I, I haven't heard any uh, news to the contrary that one in three tests were a false positive. So the test itself isn't that accurate and it, it fails in favor of saying someone is infected. The other thing is, you know, it was widely accepted that people who didn't have COVID, but if they were in a care home, for instance, where a case of COVID had been detected and they died of whatever natural causes, then those deaths were being put down as COVID deaths. The point about social distancing and shielding and self-isolation is that most of us are family-orientated people. Now, if you've got your elderly grandparents, father-in-law, mother-in-law, whatever, many of them will be immunocompromised. And Mm -hmm. if you want to interact with them, if you don't want them to die a slow, boring death confined to their own company in their care home, in their flat or whatever, then as an individual, you need to protect yourself from infection so that you don't pass that infection onto your immunocompromised family when you go to see them. So whilst I accept that the virus isn't going to kill me necessarily, Mm -hmm. if I've got it and I pass it on to someone who is immunocompromised, it could kill them. So Could. Could, yeah. But I mean, I've, I've got one particular person who's got no spleen, has had a liver transplant, two hips and is a celiac so that person is like almost guaranteed to cark it if they get covid that depends upon their immune system and how they're immunocompromised because unless in order to get a cytokine storm going you have to have there's a lot of little factors that go along with that you could have had lung cancer and be have pulmonary difficulties and still never develop the cytokine storm which kills you from sure but if you're on if you're on immunosuppressants because you've had an organ transplant and you've got no spleen, cytokine storms are us. So I, I do have a few points to, to, to chime in sure. on. Firstly, this, some of the statistics I've been looking at and been watching, the number of deaths this year in total, I'm t- talking about the total deaths, is definitely significantly larger than it was last year. Whatever the cause of that, the sum of it is going to be COVID-19. So we've only had COVID since since uh, February of 2020. Uh, well, I, I dispute that actually. Um, I if if you take our current non medical testing, but you know the the, the symptoms, mm-hmm. the, the the symptoms that we're supposed to look out for. Um, I had friends describing precisely those symptoms in December. So I, I dispute oh, that. Absolutely, but did they go in and get? Did they go in and also get a yeah. an antibody screen and then so, get a titer to see exactly so, what levels they were? Yeah. So let's. let's and they're positive so testing. So you would think that as a medical professional, as a carer, <laughs> I would have been offered a test. I would have been. I would have had a test. We're not a test. I'm not at all. Not nothing. I haven't even had anybody suggest I should go and get myself tested. I get my confirmation test next week. Yeah, I'm already. I'm one of the positives. By the way. Just let you know. Now. I, I suspect I, it would not surprise me at all if I'm if I'm positive. But that's for the antibodies. Yeah, yeah, that's yeah. that's the one I want. I don't want the yeah, I don't it, want the nose swab. I want the you, test. Yeah, the okay. it's a blood test. So, so getting back to the, the 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 statistics about death, right? At some point, we need to separate out deaths from COVID and deaths caused by COVID. Now, 
we're getting to the point of nursing homes that was made quite rightly that if there's a death in a nursing home where there has been covid it is currently being counted as covid yeah i have a friend Mm -hmm. who who was tearing her hair out in one of our local care homes and Mm -hmm. she had had in two weeks something like six of her residents die which is significantly bigger than than anything else than any other month or any other year at this time of year. But she wasn't saying that all the people died of COVID. But she did say to me that the emergency services aren't coming out because they are showing signs of a disease, something like COVID, or they are showed, or somebody in that building has shown signs of something like COVID. So that is indirectly caused. Do you see what I'm mm-hmm. saying? Oh, there I do. I understand. There are a lot of deaths in this country, I feel, that have been indirectly caused by COVID. But we do have to be careful um, that COVID is a strange disease and they're still trying to work out all the intricacies of it, as I'm sure you're all Well, they aware. should know because they made it. They well, should know what the intricacies are. <laughs> <laughs> the World <laughs> Health Organization <laughs> helped them. Yeah. We'll get back to that because that's one of the things we yeah, did the-, the other day. This disease causes blood clots which causes strokes. So we have had people in this country turn around and go, but my granddad died of a stroke. He didn't die of COVID. Unfortunately, COVID can cause a stroke. COVID can cause a heart attack. COVID can cause a thing. And so you don't necessarily die of the COVID itself. You die, it's a bit like AIDS, isn't it? People very rarely die of AIDS. They die of cancer or they die of pneumonia or stuff. It, it's, it's similar Pneumocystal to that. bacteria, some form or another, generally. Yeah. And in this case, pneumonia was was the main killer from COVID. But of course, anyone with an underlying issue who's fighting off a raging infection could easily, like you say, have a heart attack, have a stroke, because yeah. the body's not looking after itself in all those other aspects. It's just trying to fight off this filthy infection so yeah sooner or later someone has got to fess up and admit to what the real death rate is and with a test that gives one third false positive the r rate is never going to get down to what we'd like to see it get down the to R8, get the back R8 to becomes irrelevant at that point martin the r rate becomes utterly irrelevant because if you don't know how many people are actually genuinely infected by it? How can you calculate the R rate? It's yeah. impossible. Yeah, no, 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 you're right. Thinking about it, you're absolutely right. But yeah, we, we've, also, we've also got a situation in this country talking about testing. Our lovely leader was, was saying, we've had 100,000 tests done today. No, they've sent out 100,000 tests. That's what, that's what that means. They returned... So for every 100,000, they were getting back something like 30,000 or maybe even less than that. Yeah. Uh, but, but, but every test they sent out, that was a test that was done that day. It wasn't. To be fair to Bojo, there is so much going on in the world at the moment, and particularly for Britain. You've got Black Lives Matters protests. You've got the EU negotiations going on. You've got all the other bits and pieces that haven't stopped happening just because COVID is there, and then you've got COVID on top of it. I think Boris Johnson has got too much on his plate. And if he makes the occasional mistake about how many tests were issued and how many tests were done, I can can forgive him. I can't forgive the way in which the deaths are being recorded to breed more fear and discomfort for the entire country. They should be recorded accurately. No names, no pack drill. 
I know somebody who's just had to, everything's gone wrong for them at once. The daughter had to have a cesarean because she couldn't risk going full term. At the same time, her son was found to have an enlarged liver and a heart defect. The grandmother, so that she could be on the ward with the young boy, had to have a test. So she had the swabs up the nose and then was allowed to proceed onto the ward. My understanding is that that test takes around about 10 minutes to to come through. Can you put some light on that one, GP? The the nasal swab? Yeah. How long does that take to actually... (laughs) That's a dependent. Because now now they're actually going into further testing. So they're actually trying to give it 24 hours or up to uh, 72 hours to make sure that they're not getting as many false positives. The problem was, is these tests, these 10-minute tests were so inaccurate, it was causing it to look like 30%. But actually, yeah. some of these 10-minute tests were like 80% false positives. Wow. But when you add them all the tests together, it came out to about 30%. So there's where your problem lies. So now what they're doing is they're actually doing a larger test scale. They're actually getting into the lab, and they're, they're, uh, they're working a lot harder to make sure that these tests are accurate. Yeah. Well, and, and again, the test is only as good as you, the manufacturer. <laughs> well, it's only good for the time that you stay in the same environment and yes. don't go back outside and interact with strangers again, because mm-hmm. the, the moment you do, you could be easily picking it up. So my point was she had the test, wasn't told her results, but then was just let onto the ward. So she could have carried COVID into that ward. And she it could have. Yeah. The, see, the test, though, but if it's a 24-hour test, what are you supposed to do? Okay, here's your test. Go sit a, sit down for 24 hours till the results get back? Well, I'm sorry. How does that work? If it's if it's that serious, then that's what they should have done. But if they, but did she know she had it? Well, you no, understand? Was, you're only was, contagious for a very short period of time. Yeah, and then was, after that, if you're an asymptomatic, you're done. You're not contagious anymore, and you're not going to be getting it. So you've got this long window well, for an yeah. extended period of time. We don't know how long it is yet. But for this window, you're not going to be giving it to it. So, so she's taking this test. She could have gotten it three months ago. So she's taking this test. So you can take her off work. Unless she's showing like fevers and having some pulmonary distress. Yeah. Why yeah. were you going to pull her off the floor? She's a healthy, normal human being. No, but so when she's small- going on to a pediatric ward with kids that are about to have open heart surgery... This is what I mean. She was let back onto the ward after having the test without being given the results. So, well, when do you that, get your test? Did she is she displaying symptoms that she got a test, or is no, she just like, it because, hey, it's Tuesday, I'm just going to get no, a test? No, she would she, because she had to go onto the ward to look after her grandson. They gave okay. her a test. They insisted on so her they gave her rice. She has no symptoms. Normal functioning human being. Yeah, you know, you get a test. Should you? Before you go into those wards, have to wait 24 hours, have to wait 48 hours, have to wait 72 hours. Give me, give me, a, give me a time. Well, if you're going to have 100% security on it, then yes, mm-hmm. you are going to have to wait. If I was in charge of it and it was the clear and present danger that we're being told it is, I would not let anyone onto a ward with vulnerable people okay, unless so I you're- had a negative test result come back. There so you're going to have a 0.1 micron filters in all the hospital in the in those wards. You're going to have everybody suit up before they go into the hospital. Is that That's what you're going to do? Solution. That's the solution, isn't it? In, in that it is. Again, you're talking about young kids who have got severe conditions. How many? How many ward. children in the entire report, less than age of ten or less, ten or less, 
have had any severe symptoms from COVID-19? Really good question. Displayed any? Displayed any? Well, yeah, maybe that's why they they are allowed to do that policy or to follow that policy. But under the age of 10, we're not finding uh, COVID-19 displays. We're not. So, so that's, doesn't that's, doesn't that's that uh, doesn't that um that that's really weird because kids get colds and is COVID nineteen you get they get it they get it they just yeah. they're just asymptomatics because I'll tell you if there were kids were dropping from this if kids were dropping from this thing you would see every single day a child's face yeah would you not and if kids were dropping dropping at a significant rate I guarantee you that the measures would be considerably more draconian that we would have to. Oh my gosh, draconian to the. <laughs> you guys, maybe we need to define what draconian actually is because, gentlemen, we are headed down a very, very dangerous path as it is right now. Uh, you've yeah. got, you've got, I think you've got somewhere in the neighborhood of about uh, at least 15 to 25 little Hitlers that are spawning in US states right now called governors. And it's. Uh, okay, are they governors or they're mayors? Well, in your Remember, case, America ranks a mayor ranks a governor. Yes, in your case, in Go, your and case, a governor you would, ranks a president. Yes, in your case, right. in Los Angeles, I wouldn't consider that person a mayor. I would consider him a little conforming weasel. Uh, in in the case of <laughs> please, um, please, oh, only amongst friends. <laughs> yes, in the in the case of in, in the case of your governor, uh, the guy looks like he belongs on a Hollywood movie set with all that hair gel. So. This uh, All right. the, this measure that these people are taking. I mean, we're being told now that if you're if you're in the United States, we can't celebrate the Fourth of July, our Independence Day. No disrespect to the two Englishmen we have in the room. I mean, you guys call it Treason Day, so <laughs> we can't celebrate the Fourth of July. You can go out and you can riot, you can loot, you can burn, you can smash, you can tear down statues. And you don't get asked where you are to social distance, to wear a mask, which all that nonsense is out the window for me anyway, based on everything that that Bruce and I have gone through over the last 48 hours. All that stuff's out the window. Everything now is political. And it's like you said, GP, it's political science more than anything else. And so these people are going to turn around and use their power that they've seized at the level of the criminal state and turn that on you and your family for barbecue and a hot dog or chicken. On the 4th of July, they're going to use that. They're going to send the cops around to cite you because you have a family gathering at your house. But okay, if you want to go out and burn business down, I'm referring to any U.S. state that employs these measures that we're talking about. Because right now, as of just a few minutes ago in the state of Ohio, my home state of Ohio, this is what the governor has talked about. He has said that uh, he was speaking in the nature of schools this time around. Right. Mm-hmm. So all the schools. Right. As it relates to this fall opening up, which we're you know, we're about four weeks away from that. So uh, all the schools in the state of Ohio. Right. Schools will develop facial covering policies. They each each school is going to have to come up with their own, which we went over the mask thing two days ago uh, as far as. Uh, where where people stay on the mask. They're useless. They're useless. They're absolutely useless. So why have them? Some may develop modified schedules. The staff will be required to wear masks unless unsafe or prohibits learning, whatever that means. The masks are recommended for third grade and up. So it hits your criteria, GP, the 10 years old and above. So these measures that are being taken, at least from that standpoint, from the schools, I think are completely unnecessary. It's completely unnecessary. How are you going to stop that? But the fact is, is that they have picked a coronavirus in this case, as we've talked about many times before. They picked a coronavirus. Why that one? Because there's a whole family of them. They can now use this to do whatever they want with it. 
because it's classified in so many different ways. We talked about the classification, how the U.S. has reclassified everything. If you have a subjective fever, so if you have a fever of 99.6 in Fahrenheit, then you have COVID. And then on top of that, up to 16 other people can be classified on top of you. So there's 17 confirmed cases. If you have a headache in America, you have COVID. This is what they're doing. So you cannot shut down society based on these falsehoods. This is precisely what they're doing. And so they will not stop until they are stopped. That's the only thing that they know at this point. They have become irrelevant. The political class, the the traditional political class in the West is now irrelevant. We the people know who they are, and we don't want them anymore. Hence, the election of Donald Trump. Forget what, forget what you think about him. The election of Donald Trump. Brexit. We told the established order, we're done with you. So they threw this curveball at us. And now we're having to sit here and have this conversation. In the meantime, while we're doing all this, you've got a new swine flu being cooked up in China as we speak. And you can bet your bottom dollar, or pound in this case, that by flu season this year, They're going to be ratcheting this stuff up again. As you see, they're already doing it now. You can go out and you can protest. Oh, that's fine. You're you're exercising your freedom of peaceably assembling at that point. You can do that. That's okay. But if you go out and you barbecue this weekend, oh boy, oh, you're going to you're going to end up with a fine. We're going to haul you to jail. The people that belong in jail are the people that are the ones that are handing these illegal orders down. Now, I don't mean to to jump in and, and be all rebellious here, but damn it, as Americans, that's what we do. That's what we do. The consent of the governed doesn't go along with these little tyrants. And eventually they will be pushed back upon because what are you going to do? Are, are you going to start dragging people out of their homes that, that gather for the 4th of July? I would really love to see that. I would really love to see that because if you put that on the news, you, you put that on the television over there. What do you think people are going to do? There's only so much people can take until they snap. There's only so much people can take. And I think all of us here have had just about a damn enough of this, right? And I know the listener out there has had enough of this nonsense too. So a a coronavirus, the most common thing out there, a common house cold is a coronavirus. The way they've classified everything, the way that they're using it, they have to, Marty, you mentioned them creating it. Well, the reason they come out with the fact that it was created, the reason they made that easy enough for us to find and put that together is so they can own it. They can own it. They can turn around and control the agenda from a standpoint of ownership. They can set the terms. They can set the policy. They can set the procedures based on what they've created, as opposed to us just saying, go to hell. Yeah. Okay. I've let you get away with about 15 days. When we say they, we are talking in this case in the United States, we're talking about the Democrat Party and, you know, the Trojan horses placed there through the open society funding and and all those kind of things. Is that that the they you're talking about? Well, yeah, (laughs) I thought we were to that understanding already. But yeah, no, 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 no. But remember a little while back when when we had the, the three podcasts, I think, about identifying the usual suspects. You're correct. Um, so it was, I would be absolutely flabbergasted if this turned out to to come directly from a bat and a pangolin. This was made in a lab. Now, how it escaped from that lab, the more and more we talk about it, the more I'm convinced it was deliberate because, yes, the populists got in, in the UK and in the US, the popular vote happened. People who weren't, things happened like the, the Brexit vote. None of these things were supposed to have happened, but it's the people, as you rightly say, 
saying we've had enough. Brexit was a, a, a populist vote against Westminster because we're fed up with our political classes because they are ineffectual, useless, corrupt liars. That's just my opinion. And now that they, the 1%, the elite, who actually pull the puppet strings of these politicians that we've got such a problem with, they're trying to grab control. And the list so far, what was it? Climate change, which I don't deny. I think it is man-made and man-influenced. But the degrees to which we were being told by Greta and, well, her dad and and all the people who fund them are not as severe as, as they would have us believe. After that, what was the next thing? The next thing was COVID. And then after that, we've had Antifa and Black Lives Matter. One thing after another, just to crush us down and at take endgame. control of us. Yeah. They're at endgame. They're done. Well, they, they, they like know that they're done. you said earlier on, and I don't know if you were uh, paraphrasing me from the from earlier in the week in one of my tweets or things I might have said on Parler or something I might have said on Facebook, they won't stop until they are stopped. And how do we stop it? At the moment, they've still got their bully boys and they're unwitting, by and large, their police, the police forces and, and police departments, they've still got them at their beck and call. So if we do go into open rebellion and have a wonderful 4th of July, Traitor's Day, as you say. High numbers of arrests, more people with criminal records, uh, more people jailed and put into the system and processed. Is that what they're actually after? Are they expecting us to to give this outward rebellion, which will allow them to tighten their grip on us even more? Uh, well, what, I don't, what do you guys think? I don't. I don't think necessarily that. Well, it really depends because I don't think necessarily they'll play that card because they know that if they go that route, they're going to lose. And when I say they, I'm talking about the power structure, the political class. They're going to lose that, especially in the U.S. They're going to lose that. Now, here's the other issue to consider. They allow I'm talking about the the political class here, the the politicians in the U.K., the politicians in the U.S., right? Our two countries are being hammered right now, right? We're being hammered right now with all this stuff. They can go out and they can beat up police horses. You know, I saw what was going on in the U.K. They can tear down statues and they can have the police. We talked about what was going on with the police. They can have the police get beaten up over there by by Antifa and by BLM protesters. That's fine. But if you send some veterans out there to stand up and to, to stand around statues to make sure that they're not messed with, well, what do you have? You have an army of police standing out there ready to stop them. Now, I'm not going to get conspiratorial here, as I didn't the other day, but anybody that's paying attention can see right through that agenda. If you were to turn the veterans loose in the streets on the mobs, the mobs would be cleaned up in about an hour. Because that's just the kind of cowards that they really are. So the police are, in this case, they're the innocent victims. They're the ones that are being offered up by the system, by the establishment, as pawns. As far as I'm concerned, the police are under no obligation at this point, at this point in our in our history, at this critical juncture in both of our societies, the police are under no obligation whatsoever to protect the political class any longer. Am I saying anarchy? Absolutely not. Absolutely not. But they are the only thing that stands between we the people and bringing them to justice. So if we're going to have these people removed, let's say, then the police have to stop protecting them. They have to stop enforcing their illegal orders. 
And unfortunately, at this point in time, they're still doing it. And even at the same time, and I don't understand why, because they're scapegoating them. They're vilifying them. They're turning the mobs in the streets, the Antifas, the BLM protesters, they're turning them against the police. They don't care about the police. So why protect them? Why, why do that? I, I don't understand where the police are on that. But I think one way we could go about that peacefully would be for the police to simply not enforce these illegal orders. That's the easiest way to do this. And haul those bums in that are out there destroying our statues and our history and our culture. Haul those bums in to the, to the local constabulary. Throw the book at them and lock them down for a few months in a prison cell and see how that goes. No bail, no magistrate, no none of that stuff. If you're going to go out there and you're going to tear down our history, then we're going to tear you down. That's all there is to it. From a very personal point of view, I can I, my, my view on, on why the police are a little bit powerless at the moment, and I don't disagree that they aren't, I have worked in various cities and towns throughout this country. Now, the city that's Portsmouth is, is quite a large city. It's roughly 300,000, if I'm correct, roughly about that sort of size. And I, I've done quite a lot of work on ambulances in that area. And on two occasions, I have had the entirety of the police force that was available at, on that day at that point in time, allocated to me and my crewmate because we were having difficult situations. Now, 300,000 people, you wouldn't expect those numbers to be six and eight, would you? Six officers on one occasion and eight officers on another occasion. That was the entirety of the available police force because we needed them for backup. Yeah, to they, protect us. they are woefully undermanned. It's, it's, also, it's also the, the problem, part of the problem as well. At the moment, they're currently cutting back on and creating kind of super stations where all the admin goes. So somebody has to drive 20 miles round to the central hub where the person is going to be booked, is going to be put into the system. And they are tied up until that is done before they can drive the 20 miles back to where they're supposed to be. yeah, And that ties up an awful lot of them. So there was a little bit of that, but there was also the fact that, the, like, like Martin was just about to say, we are woefully undermanned in our police force at the moment. But you see, Boris has avowed to put an extra 20,000 police back onto the streets. It's a little bit too late, but it still needs to be done just because, you know, the situation is, is like bolting the stable door Sorry, yeah, locking the stable door after the horse is bolted. We still need to build our police numbers back up to a level where you wouldn't have those kind of situations. But every move, the opposition, and this is the problem with our politics, nitpicks and point scores and all those kind of things, and it slows down the whole process of, of getting something done. So he's got a majority. He can get things through Parliament, get those policemen back out onto the streets, properly trained, properly supported. And, you know, it's shocking that, and I, and I totally believe what you've said, that on two occasions, the entire available police presence was called to, to an incident around an ambulance. It doesn't happen in America. I'm sure there's police departments in America and sheriffs departments that are undermanned, but the sheer scale of law enforcement in the US compared to ours, well, there is no comparison. We've, we've got too few law enforcement officers. But 
going back to what you were saying about politics, the trouble is 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 that it doesn't matter which party's in power, the other side nitpicks. They did the same with Chairman Blair. They did exactly the same thing with Chairman Blair. The Tories did did the same to Labour. And that's my biggest problem with our political system is that it seems that the only way forward is to make cuts at them. There doesn't seem to be any way to to, to improve things. And and yes, 20,000 police officers. But like you said, in the last 10 years, how many police officers have we have we lost? How many police officers have, have we lost because they're not supported and have had to leave the, the job early? How many police officers have we lost because they've made cuts and then caused people to not feel supported and then leave jobs because of stress and things like that? It's not an attractive thing to be in this country at the moment. You're being beaten up by the people you're trying to protect. You're being asked to arrest people to complete quotas. You're being threatened by all and sundry. You're being demanded. It, it just does. It's not an attractive proposition. Once upon a time, a police officer was a respected person. He was the person you went to to ask for directions when I was a kid, wasn't he? You know, I don't. Yeah. don't you, 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 you must remember those those adverts, right? It, it, and and that thing that that was the person you went to because he was the safe person, or she, he or she was the safe person to go and talk to and say, "I'm lost. Can you point me to the library or wherever it was you wanted to go?" And they knew the area well enough. They knew the area that the, the people in that were around, and sometimes they'd be able to help you. There's so many songs springing into my head at the moment, all based on asking a policeman for direction or asking a policeman for the time, because that's what they were. But because they were cut to the bare bones, they didn't have time to do that for the public anymore. They didn't have time to merely maintain a presence. They had to be fully employed, fighting crime, getting the figures down, getting the arrest rate up all those sorts of things, yeah. that there wasn't time for any of that. And and this has been, or this is part of the reason why the younger generations don't treat the police with the same respect as my generation and your generation would do, because they haven't seen them in that context, as in someone you go to for help. They just see them as, you know, the person who is is there to arrest them or give them a hard time or pull them over for a, you know, a nonsensical traffic violation. And they don't see them as the person who they should respect and trust. And that's a major issue. It's it's one of the things that if this government resolves anything, it will be to get our policing levels back up to what they should be. So, okay. I want to give uh, I want to give our guest here the last word. You know, Marty. Of course, you're welcome to get get a last word here. But no, no, um, I'm more than happy for our guest to have the last word. Yeah, I, I wanted to give yeah I wanted to give him the last word tonight. And and I just had one question, right? And this is what I wanted you to give your uh, your closing point on. You being a medical professional, you being it's been a fascinating conversation tonight. By the way, thanks for coming on. You being a medical professional in the UK. And seeing all of the things that that you saw last week with all of the people that you had half a million to three quarters of a million people descending upon your community and you lot just weren't prepared to deal with any of it with all of that. Right. And we do have we do have UK listeners. If you were to say something to all of these listeners in the UK, right, as a medical professional, as it relates to all of this with um, with everything that's happening in society, summertime, people want to get out of their houses and they want to go places. What would you say to them? What, what advice would you give them? First thing to do is think. 
think before you do anything, respect the local communities. If, if you're going to drive from somewhere to 100 or so miles plus in some situations to somewhere that is a beauty spot or whatever, check. Just check to see whether the facilities are open. Check to see how many other people are heading in that same direction and keep your plans flexible so you can change them because it seems that people are turning into sheep and just blindly following the crowds. Whereas actually we are thinking beings, theoretically. We are capable of making our own decisions and turn around. Don't be scared of turning around and seeing if there's somewhere else. I mean, I'm not going anywhere near the beach this weekend because I have a nasty suspicion it's going to happen again. It's certainly going to happen next week when the weather turns pretty again, when the, when the, the, these dastardly clouds suddenly disappear from our skies. You know, I, I go to the beach when there are clouds in the skies deliberately because there are not going to be people there. Just think and respect people. Don't do anything in somebody else's front garden that you wouldn't do in your own. It's that simple, I think. Nicely put, mate. Well said. Okay. Again, Jason, I want to thank you for coming on. By the way, that's an open invitation. Yeah. And I hope to have you back. Uh, like I said, anytime. Hell, you can come back tomorrow if you want. I, I, want to, I want to plug social media. So, Marty, you've been on Parlor for like a week now. How are you finding it? Actually, there's a. it's very good. There's open conversations there. I've got more followers on Parlor than I ever managed to get on Twitter. But then again, I didn't go on there for the following. I just went on there to troll people I don't like. <laughs> um, so... Yeah, uh, it, yeah, it's it's good. The actual app itself could be a little bit more intuitive. Um, yes, they are working getting on these, that. Yeah, they are working. So uh, it's new in it, so so it's going to have a few teething problems. But yeah, I'm enjoying it, and I shall be putting more stuff up there. But yes, please, listener, if you wouldn't mind feeding back to us, you can find me there at Marty Foster on Parlor. Uh, if you disagree with me, tell me. If you agree with me then tell me as well, because I do have an ego and it needs stroking. Yes, it is nice to it is nice to have uh, some good, healthy, uh, healthy dialogue over there. And we are seeing some people from the opposite end of the political spectrum start to flood in there. And of course, we've got some other prominent people that have jumped in there. We've had three or four different U.S. congressmen and U.S. senators jump in this week. A couple of celebrities have jumped in there. I believe a few more U.K. politicians have jumped on as well. Nigel Farage has just come over. He's one of the big big names that have just jumped in over there. Of course, Katie Hopkins is there. Tommy Robinson has just jumped in in the last few days. And so it's... it's, I can feel Jason cringing at the mention of all three of those names. (laughs) Um, yeah they're not my favorite people either i'm a right-wing conservative i'm not far right but those three people are there and just for our listener i want to reassure you that every time katie hopkins says something that i disagree with i tell her on parlor as well so um it's not just james o'brien and the libtards that i give a hard time i will give the right-wing people a hard time when they start saying stuff that is clearly inflammatory. No, we have to. We, we have to. That's the point of it. We have to have the pushback on both sides. Both extremes have to be have to be shouted down. That's all there is to yeah. it. So I haven't seen Katie Hopkins say something that isn't inflammatory, I'm afraid. <laughs> well, no, some of the stuff she says is okay. But look, Jason, you are one of my most liberal friends, and we've always got on. And we might have political differences, but that's why I think this forum is so good, because we can have a chat, we can discuss things, we can disagree and still part as friends. And Johnny, you've said that many times on here. 
And I don't always agree with what you you say, for instance. I always agree with Bruce because Bruce is great. But, <laughs> you know, that's what's good about our conversations. They are open and we try to just give our opinion and the way we see it and we'll accept and listen to other people's opinions as well. That's one of the biggest things that I am upset by this whole Brexit situation, by the whole populist movement, is there is this huge assumption now that I cannot be friends with somebody who voted on the other side of the Brexit line to me. What needs to happen, like we, like you say, is you need to have a conversation with these people and understand that my friends are my friends. They don't all share my views. That's right. Now, Johnny's trying to wind it up. So quiet now, you liberal bugger. <laughs> <laughs> okay. I tell you what, next time you come on, we'll have the Brexit conversation. I'm assuming by all of that talk, you're a uh, Ramoner. I'm, I'm assuming that's you were one of those. <laughs> I don't moan about it. I you don't moan about it. <laughs> okay. I am a Remainer, but I accept what's happening. My views on why we should be in are probably significantly different to the people you would call Ramoners. As Marty was saying, yes, do please give us a follow over on the platform of Parlor. Uh, we do appreciate the feedback. Good, bad, doesn't matter. We welcome all of it, especially the bad, right? I want to hear the bad feedback. I want the derogatory comments. I want them coming in so I know who I've offended. <laughs> And I want to know what I've said that's offended someone, if at all. But anyway, you can follow me over there at Anderson 3 And like Marty said, you can follow him at Marty Foster. Again, you know, we, we welcome all of the follows, the likes, the echoes, the, the comments, everything you've got. So thank you guys for your time today. And from all of us here, wherever you are in the world, we thank you for listening. Because it's all of you that listen that make this all possible. We love you and we love freedom and independence. And together we'll continue to fight for those in the marketplace of ideas. So we'll see all of you tomorrow.